0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Good morning. My name is John Mason, and I've been invited to uh, give the talk this morning. You may have heard the story of the man who was concerned about the state of his wife's hearing. When he spoke to his doctor about his concern, uh, the doctor advised him that uh, he should go home and in the course of the afternoon ask his wife what time the meal was this evening. And if his wife didn't respond, he should go a step or two closer and ask the question again. Uh, Reckoning this was sound advice, uh, the man went home and mid-afternoon asked his question about the time of the evening meal. Uh, Receiving no response, he stepped a little closer to his wife and repeated the question. Again, no response. So he stepped closer and asked, what time is dinner tonight? It was not until he'd asked his question for the fifth time that his wife looked up and said, for the fifth time, dinner will be at seven o'clock.. Now I begin with the story this morning because all too often, we are actually deaf to God's voice in the Bible, especially when life becomes challenging. We look everywhere else, but rather the word rather than the word of God. We think we hear we think we understand we think we believe we think we trust but in reality we don't in an article in the weekend Australian in December last year Paul Kelly a political commentator and writer observed people now assert their rights against established norms and institutions they seek more control their distrust of institutions has escalated. And referencing a June 2016 USA Gallup poll, he pointed out that the poll revealed that in the 30 years from 1985 to 2016, confidence in big business fell from 32 to 18 percent, in newspapers from 32 to 18 percent, in banks from 51 to 27%, in the church and organized religion from 66 to 41%, and in the Congress 39 to 9%. No comment. In short, Kelly wrote, the Western establishment is being eroded from within due to lack of confidence and respect in the ability of leaders and institutions to discharge their responsibilities to the wider community. The causes are complex, multifaceted, and not easily resolved. And he further noted the rise of a cult of individualism that threatens to entrench unhappiness at the heart of the democratic project rules and norms must be modified to meet the latest claims of individual rights and self-realization. The needs of the individual are being enshrined as paramount and this recognition becomes the new morality. How then do we live in such a changing world? Well. Let me invite you not to be deaf to the voice of God this morning, but rather listen attentively to what God has to say. In that reading from Matthew chapter 5, in verse 13 and verse 14, we read Jesus' words, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Uh, You are the salt of the earth. People in Jesus' day used salt for quite a number of reasons. They used it, for example, as we do today, for seasoning, to bring out the flavor of food. But that said, one of the main uses of salt in Jesus' day was as a preservative. In a time when there was no refrigeration, salt was rubbed into the flesh of fresh meat to prevent it from rotting. So following that line of interpretation, Jesus is saying that his followers are to act as a preservative in the world. When we think about that, that's an in-your-face comment about humanity. Because Jesus is saying the world is on a downhill slope left to its own devices. The Christian community, the Christians, God's people, are there, Jesus is saying, to slow down the rot, slow down the decay. So what did Jesus mean? Well, these words follow immediately the little section, the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, that Matthew records. The section that begins with what we call the Beatitudes, the blessings, the blessed person, or we can quite rightly translate, the happy person. Let me summarize what Jesus is saying there. Instead of feeling prior, proud about your relationship with God, we need to understand our poverty before God. Instead of being indifferent towards unbelievers, we need to fail to feel the pain for a world that is thumbing its nose at God and not arrogantly dismiss it. Instead of engaging in the power play and plotting of the world in the cause of God's kingdom, we need to walk the tougher path of humility and service. Furthermore, we should hunger for truth and righteousness, Show mercy. Pursue purity. Work for peace. We also need to reckon on the reality that life won't always be easy for God's people. But we must never forget Jesus' encouragement to stay with him. Remember the path that he was prepared to tread. A path of suffering. A path that would lead ultimately and the most unjust crucifixion the most unjust death in human history Jesus saying whatever it takes it's going to be worth it and as he says at the end of Matthew's gospel lo I am with you and we could translate those, his phrase there lo I am with you the whole of every day until the end. Now it's important to notice that Jesus is not saying with those Beatitudes that our morality or our behavior saves us. None of us are good enough for that. He is talking to would-be followers who have turned to him in repentance and in faith received his forgiveness, and found eternal life in him. So he's now setting out in chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, he's now setting out in summary form what he expects of his people. A totally new lifestyle. And he's saying that our lifestyle is going to be as salt and light in the wider community. So for men and women to stand against the dehumanizing elements of the marketplace, they need good and godly examples of how to live. They need salt to stop the rot of selfishness and greed. But this can only happen if God's people don't become insipid themselves. And that's why Jesus goes on to warn against salt losing its saltiness. You're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored, he asks. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, as I'm sure you're aware, Chemistry 101 tells us that NaCl is a most stable compound. However in the ancient world, salt was obtained more from the salt marshes rather than the evaporation of salt seawater. And so there were many impurities in it. The actual salt could be leached out, leaving a substance that looked and tasted salty but in fact was worthless. It was either tipped out on the road or even put on the roof of the flat-topped houses where it was trodden in under feet. But there's also an interesting play on words here that Jesus here first hearers would have picked up. Salt in Aramaic, the language that Jesus was speaking, is tabel, with a B. And there's also a word that's very close to it. Tabel, which means fool. Watch out, Jesus is saying, that you don't become insipid, wishy-washy followers, and so make fools of yourselves. What a warning. If you call yourself a follower of mine, Jesus is saying, your life is going to be different. But we must pause here and ask, is this how other people see us? Not because we're quirky, but rather, (coughs) we need to ask ourselves, do we come to the cathedral but our life remains unchanged? Is your lifestyle directed by the culture or by the Bible? Are you a cultural Christian or a biblical Christian? Are you just as unforgiving, just as greedy, just as selfish as everyone else around you? How do people see you is my question. If you call yourself a follower of mine, Jesus says, let your life be transformed by my words, for you are the salt of the earth. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul the Apostle writes, Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul, as he draws his letter to Colossians to a close, tells us that we are to act wisely and graciously towards people we live and work with. And notice Paul expects us to cultivate conversations that are seasoned with salt. Salt here is a metaphor for sparkling and interesting conversations that trigger questions about life. So our conversation is not just dominated by the football of the weekend, but we're looking for opportunities to be able to introduce the subject of the larger issues of life. Friends of mine take time each day to think about ways they can use the news items, the opinion columns, films to spark conversations around either the the water cooler or over coffee or lunch. Let me also suggest it's worthwhile taking time to develop your own story of faith when people ask me how to do this I suggest you take a clean sheet of paper put put a margin down the left hand side, the number zero at the top, your current age at the bottom and then think of three points in your life that were transformational in bringing you to to a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour And then write a paragraph about each of those points. That's going to fill up the page. But I found, in my own experience, and I found amongst in amongst those that uh, have taken this on board, that we need to cut that page down to half a page because that's about two minutes. At least it is in my handwriting. And typically you're going to get two minutes of opportunity and not much more to be able to tell your story of faith. So in those two minutes don't focus upon what an awful life you live, but rather what God has brought you out of through His beloved Son. So the focus of your story comes Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you once and for all when he died on the cross well once you've got your story down to half a page tell it to yourself and when you're content with it tell it to someone close to you whom you respect as a mature Christian ask them for their comments their criticism and then when you've got it by heart and you don't need your notes, then look and pray for opportunities to be able to talk to members of your family, to people at work, to people even on the street, to be able to weave in your story even when you're watching the football. Because if you're looking for opportunities to do that amongst people, who know you and love you and respect you, they're going to give you that window. But so often the salt has lost its saltiness. So often we don't have that salty, quirky edge, constructive edge in our conversations. And so we lose the opportunities. Well, of course, we need to pray for these opportunities to tell our story of faith. And let me say over and over again, as I've encouraged people to do that, they've come back to me and they've said, Do you know, I never believed it would happen. But three times this week, I've had an opportunity of telling my story. Well, secondly, Jesus continues, You are the the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand, and it gives light in all the house. Uh, We don't think too much about light and darkness these days, do we? But have we ever tried wandering around a house in the country on a dark night? Darkness is blackness. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And there's something else we notice here. Light is a metaphor for truth. Because we live in an age of relativism and tolerance, we easily lose the impact of Jesus' imagery here. Because we don't easily comprehend the moral darkness of life around us, let alone even in our own lives. And part of the problem, of course, is that people around us insist there are no absolutes. In an earlier age, people would have understood the ideas of darkness and light, morally speaking. They would have pointed to the Ten Commandments, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, the ethics in the New Testament. But today it's a very different scene. Few educators or leaders of society would challenge the prevailing assumption that there is no morally binding objective authority or truth above the individual and tell me afterwards if you disagree is there any hope for change we ask what part can we play we feel so powerless well look at verse 16 in the same way let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven so Jesus pulling those beatitudes together and the implications of those beatitudes together and he's also preempting as it were what he's going to go on to teach in the rest of his sermon on the mount everything you are everything you do Jesus is saying to those who would follow him must reflect all that I've taught you for that is how others will come to see the mind and the will of God in the life of God's people It's not going to happen otherwise. It's an awesome thought. Social media is shutting shutting down, potentially, the voice of the Christian world. So we are called upon as individuals to play our part in helping people to come to see the true light that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ all of us as individuals are called upon to reflect the light of God in our lives to the world Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it like this flight into the invisible is a denial of the call the community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him it's important to recall the world in which Christianity was born The first letter of Peter is addressed to people who are experiencing intolerable oppression and persecution. These people, humanly speaking, have no opportunities in life. And yet in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 we read, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter's picked up Jesus' words. People will be drawn to the truth before it's too late. And they'll come to see the rightness of Christian living because there is a God who is there Abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul, Paul Peter writes. It's a reference to the desires of our hearts. They're out of step with the Ten Commandments and Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Lies, false witness, anger, greed, theft, the lustful look, the adulterous relationship, anything that stands against the mind of God. So in our changing world, let's resolve by God's grace, to play our part in this is unfinished task. A task of searching for and rescuing the lost. We re- need to remember, it was people like you and me in that first century that looked for opportunities to gossip the gospel. Lives were changed. It wasn't just the head honchos who were doing this, by the way. In other words, The apostles. Read the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 8 and verse 4 in particular. And who is it out spreading the word of the gospel? Not the apostles, but rather God's people. We've all got a part to play. And let's remember also that Christianity changed and transformed the whole of the Roman Empire by the 4th century. And they didn't do this at the edge of end of a sword. They did it because they had a word, a message, the message of truth to pass on to the world. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, wrote, Men despise religion, they hate it, they are afraid it may be true. The cure for this is just to show that religion is not contrary to reason, but worthy of reverence and respect. Next, make it attractive. Make good men wish it were true. Good men and women, of course. And then show them that it is. If we are to be effective as salt and light in the world, we need to think through ways to address the hot topics of today. One of them, of course, being the matter of human sexuality. A straight up and down condemnation of attitudes that we believe conflict with the scriptures is not going gain, to gain us or get us an audience, I suggest. But what if we had dropped a fresh approach? Asking questions about what it means to be human. Ask questions first. And at the right time, taking people back to Genesis 1, 2 and 3. What do we read in Genesis 1? In the beginning, God created. Go now in verse 26, verse 28. What's God doing? He's creating humanity in His image. Male and female, He's created us. You might say it's a binary aspect of the creation. And we apply binary principles in other areas, don't we? Fairly significant field of the computer. There's so much confusion about our human identity today. And whereas the starting point for some is what they feel about themselves, we need to find timely ways to bring people back to God's written self-revelation. And I suggest there's something else we can do in church and in our own lives, and that is go back to the Psalms. In the Dean's Hour, I've just touched on this, something that I've been speaking about over the last couple of weeks. Get back to the Psalms, why? Because the Psalms pick up the whole gambit of our experiences of life they touch our hearts, they touch our minds and when we think about the whole 150 psalms we see in fact that they are in fact God's word speaking back through the experiences of the psalm writers in poetic forms and poetry by its nature slowing us down to think again to reflect on who God is and our relationship with Him so when it comes to being the light in the world let me suggest we need to work on three fronts our lifestyle are we increasingly living as God wants us to our compassion and care for others Are we known as individuals and as a church for our compassion towards people in need in the city, even on our doorstep? Our testimony, our gospel focus. Are we known as interesting, joy-filled people who are committed to introducing to others God's truth in fresh ways? God's passion is to bring many to the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us the privilege of working with him through our good works and the words of our lips to draw people to this light so that on the last day they will truly glorify God. So here we have it. The power of gospel living. Salt and light. But friends, we can't do this alone, can we? We need to know Christ in our own hearts first. We need to pray for the power of Christ's love to be at work within us, enabling us to do far more than we ever dreamed in his service. So let me conclude with the words with which Paul the Apostle concluded his prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus to all generations forever and ever amen you've been listening to audio from the cathedral church of the advent if you live in birmingham or find yourself visiting